Penny Bean. Well, thank you for the warm welcome that you've given to me. My wife, Debbie's here uh, as well. I'm always amazed wherever I go at all the Johnson connections, uh, and we've been able to renew with lots of friends and make some new friends, and, and it's so glad uh, to see you uh, here. You've made us feel very, very welcome. Uh, I bring you greetings uh, from the administration and faculty and staff and students at Johnson University. Uh, we uh, appreciate uh, your uh, prayer support, encouragement, financial support. Uh, we, we are uh, continuing to fulfill God's mission uh, to educate students for Christian ministries and other strategic vocations framed by the Great Commission, as we heard in the communion meditation, in order to extend the kingdom of God among all nations. And that's our work as a, an educational institution. That's your work as the local church. Uh, of Jesus Christ. It's all of our individual work as disciples of Jesus. And so uh, our, our work overlaps uh, as we seek to fulfill God's mission uh, in our lives. But thank you for the invitation to speak. If you, if you get down Knoxville way, make sure if you come by the campus, we would love uh, to welcome you here. I'm also from here in Upper East Tennessee, and it's good to be back in God's country uh, here every now and then. So good to, good to be here this morning. The scripture text I want to use is from the book of Acts, chapter 13, Acts, uh, chapter 13. So if you want to turn there or click there, please uh, do and follow along uh, with me. And I'll begin reading at verse 1. So Acts, chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. I love this passage of Scripture from the book of Acts because it is one of the few places in the book that gives us insight into the everyday experience of the local church. Now, we think of the book of Acts as a book of history. In Sunday school, we learn that Acts is the history book in the New Testament, uh, but in fact, there are very few historical details that are given to us about the down-to-earth, everyday goings-on in the local congregation. You know, those common, ordinary things that make up the church experience. There are big events, like the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost and the Council of Jerusalem and Paul's missionary journeys. We have those, and, and there are big people like Peter and Philip and James and Stephen and Barnabas and Paul. But there's very little of the day-to-day. -day. But here in Acts chapter 13 and its context, if you want to read a little more about the church at Antioch, go back a couple of chapters to chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. This is one place where we get a glimpse inside the church Inside the doors, we get to go to church with these folks from Antioch. 
And the lesson that we learn there is a very important one about the nature of the church, about the work that God calls us to do, and how God equips us to do that work. And so I think it's really important for those of us who invest our time and and effort and money in the church to stop and ask every now and then, now why am I doing this? What is this all about? Why is church so important to me? And in doing that, we need to reaffirm often our commitment to the call of God's work in our lives individually, in our lives together as the church, in our communities, and throughout the world. So today I want us to look back, way back, to the book of Acts to to ask what is church all about? And, and we recognize how important it is to do that. As a congregation, we have committed ourselves to the New Testament. We see the book of Acts uh, as the model that, uh, for, for the church, to be the church of Jesus Christ. It informs and shapes us into who we are. And so as we look back, we find a way forward. Now, the book of Acts is an epic drama. It tells the story of how the church of Jesus Christ goes from a Jewish context in Jerusalem to a Gentile context in Rome. That's the basic storyline of the whole book, from Jerusalem to Rome. And it's full of wonderful, dramatic stories that need to be read and studied. The theme and outline of the entire book is in chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you can follow that geography through the entire book of Acts. It begins in Jerusalem, the church is scattered into Judea and Samaria and then it goes to what will become the ends of the earth. And the hero of the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the hero of this drama in the book of Acts. In chapter 1, it's the Holy Spirit who communicates the commands of Jesus to the apostles. In verse 8, as we read, it is the Holy Spirit that empowers the witness to the gospel of Jesus. In chapter 13, we read, it is the Holy Spirit who calls Christians and sets them apart for the work that God has them to do. And it is the Holy Spirit who sends us into the world bearing witness to the good news. So, in fact, and you probably learned this in Sunday school at some time, it's better to call this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit, not the Acts of the Apostles. Because the hero is the Holy Spirit. Now, this drama plays itself out in five acts. And I want to sort of walk you through the book of Acts here. Sometime today, you ought to sit down and read through uh, that, that book. And hopefully I can equip you a little bit uh, to, to read through the book of Acts. Act 1, chapters 1 and 2, contains the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. Boom! It's, it starts with a real bang. Uh, the, the apostles are commissioned. Jesus is ascended. The gospel is preached. The church is established. 
And then Act 2, chapters 3 through 7, we have the church in Jerusalem. We find them meeting together, gathering for the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and for prayers. We find Peter and John healing a lame man and arrested. We find the really interesting story of Ananias and Sapphira. And it ends with the martyrdom of Stephen. And we are introduced to this character named Saul, who's standing over there in the corner holding the cloaks at the stoning of Stephen. Then Act 3, as a result of the stoning of Stephen and the persecution of the church, the church is scattered. And it's scattered into Judea and Samaria. James is killed. Peter is imprisoned and freed. And, and there's a very important shift takes place in that some of those believers from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria went up to Antioch, a Gentile city, and preached the gospel to Gentiles and established a strong Gentile church. And at that point, the whole book of, the, of Acts changes. So Act 4, chapters 13 through 20 the gospel now is going to the ends of the earth. Uh, we have the three missionary journeys of Paul in those chapters, to Asia Minor, to Macedonia, and Greece, and then Paul's plans to go to Rome. And so the final act, Act 5, chapters 21 through 28, Paul finally gets to Rome. Now, it's not the way he thought he was going to get to Rome. He ends up going back to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. There are multiple trials. He appeals to Caesar, and eventually he's taken to Rome in chains. But the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 31, ends with Paul under house arrest, quote, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the book ends, You shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It ends with preaching the gospel of Jesus boldly, without hindrance. And so really you can divide the book of Acts into two sections. The first half, chapters 1 through 12, focus on the ministry of Peter and the growth of the church among Jewish Christians in, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then the second half of the book of Acts, chapters 13 through 28, you have the growth, uh, the ministry of, of Paul and the growth of the church among Gentile Christians to the ends of the earth. And the hinge passage, the key transition is the verses that we read from Acts chapter 13, 1 through 4. Those, that's where it all happens. That's where the change in the book of Acts happens in those verses. So when you think about the drama of Acts, you are my witnesses. You bear witness to the grace and mercy of God. You bear witness to the person and work of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God who came to reveal God, to teach us about the kingdom of God, who died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, who was buried, who rose again, who ascended to the Father, and who will return a day, one day in victory. You bear witness to the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit who bears the fruit of holiness in our lives, who teaches us through the Word of God, and who equips us for Christian service. You are my witnesses. And we come to chapter 13. You have been called by God to the work, 
You have been set apart by God for the work. You have been sent out to do the work that God has called you to and set you apart for. Now, I want you to notice that now I'm no longer talking about the church a long time ago. When I say, you are my witnesses, you have been called, you have been set apart, you have been sent out. When I say you, I mean you. And you, 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 and me. All of a sudden, we recognize that the drama of the book of Acts does not end at chapter 8, verse 31. The story of the Holy Spirit's work in the church is happening right now. It's happening in this church. You are now the central characters in this drama, in this place. The Holy Spirit is still present. God the Father is still calling us. God the Son is still sending us. The ends of the earth have not been reached. There is still work to do. You are His witnesses. And the Holy Spirit is still the hero of the story. As the Spirit works in and through God's people. So if that's the case, ought to know a little bit about the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the church today, shouldn't we? So let's talk a little bit about that. The Holy Spirit is still the hero of the story of salvation through the church. Throughout Scripture, the Spirit is, is presented in different ways. One, the Spirit is called a Spirit of wisdom. The, the Spirit helps us understand the work of God in Christ. The Spirit helps us understand the gospel. The Spirit helps us understand the scriptures. It is a spirit of wisdom. The Spirit is also a spirit of holiness. The Holy Spirit helps us to develop godly character in order to live more Christ-like lives. That's why we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit produces within us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. The Spirit, the Spirit is a Spirit of holiness in our lives. And the Spirit is a Spirit of boldness. The Spirit helps us to be persistent and bold in our witness to Jesus, to stick to job number one, which is communicating the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus picked a word to describe the Holy Spirit, he picked a really interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word paraclete. And it means literally to come along beside or to walk along beside. That's the name that Jesus uses over and over and over for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the paraclete, the one who comes along beside. And in modern translations, it's most often uh, translated the helper. The Spirit of God is our helper. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus calls the Spirit the helper and also the Spirit of truth who dwells with you and will be in you. In chapter 14 of John, 25 and 26, again, the helper will teach you all things, will bring to remembrance all that I taught you. In chapter 15, 26 and 27, the helper again is the Spirit of truth who will bear witness about me 
and then you will bear witness to me. And then in John chapter 16, 7 through 15, again, the helper, the spirit of truth will convict us regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment and will guide us into all truth. Jesus said he will declare all that is mine to you. So when Jesus said in the Great Commission, lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age, he was referring to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us and through us, our hero, the Holy Spirit. Now let's ask a few questions about how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church today. This isn't exclusive. This isn't all the ways that the Holy Spirit works. But this passage from Acts 13 gives us some really good insight into some of the ways that the Spirit works in our lives. First of all, we ask the question, how does the Spirit call us? How is it that the Spirit calls us to be witnesses to Christ? We have some clues from Acts 13. There were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. We get the names of some of those prophets and teachers. Whose class are you in? Well, I'm in Barnabas' class. I'm in Manan's class. I'm in Saul's class. Uh, we, we, we've got these folks named, the prophets and teachers. Who are they? These are people who bring the Word of God to the church. Now, and we often hear the word prophet and we think of prophecy. We think of somebody who foretells the future. But most of the time in Scripture, when the word prophet is used, it's not referring to someone who tells you about something in the future. It tells of someone who brings a word of God to a specific circumstance or situation. It's someone who brings a timely, relevant, insightful word from God to his people to meet a certain challenge or problem or opportunity. So a prophet speaks on behalf of God to the people to call people to the work. And then teachers are those who are able to explain and apply the Word of God. Teachers are the practical, down-to-earth kind of folks. The prophets bring the big ideas. The prophets bring the inspiration. The prophets bring the ideas, the concepts, the what we're going to try to do, what we need to do. The, the, the teachers come along and support that. Say, now, here's, here's how you do that. Here's how we're going to get that done. We need prophets and teachers. We need people who can speak the Word of God to our circumstance, to our relevant, in relevant ways to our world. But we need people who can come behind and explain and apply the Word of God. That's how the Spirit calls. The Spirit uses the Word of God in order to do that for the church. That's why Paul could say in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God, or Holy Spirit, God's breath, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. God calls us through the preaching and teaching of His Word. That's why it is so important for this congregation to pay so much attention to make the preaching and teaching of God's Word a priority for your gathering. That when you gather to worship, that it is the Word 
of God that is preached. When you gather in small groups and in Sunday school classes and in one-on-one discipleship uh, uh, groups, that it is important that the Word of God is preached and taught. It must be a priority because it's through that preached Word, it's through that communicated Word of God that the Spirit calls us to the work of God. Now, another question we could ask is how does the Spirit set us apart? How does the Spirit, how does the Spirit say to us, now, here's what I want you to do, and I want you to do it. I want you to be set apart for my work. Well, notice here in Acts chapter 13 what they were doing. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. See, the Spirit spoke to them when they were engaged in acts of worship. And then later in verse 3, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Notice that the setting apart and even the sending took place in a context of worship, fasting, and prayer. That it is, it is as God's people make themselves available to God in worship that God can then do something with us. See, worship is at its heart a submission to God. The, the word worship literally means to bow before or to submit to. And so as they worshiped and prayed and fasting, they did those things that put them in a posture of submission to God. God, not my will, but your will be done. God, call me to your work. Set me apart for your work. Worship makes us available to God. And worship puts us in a place where our heart is ready to be to receive God's call and to set us apart for God's work. And so that's why not only is the preaching and teaching of God's word a priority, but worship must be a priority in the church. And I'm talking about both the corporate worship, what you do together in large groups or small groups, and what you do personally and individually in your worship of God. That puts you in a place where God can really bless you and use you. It's where God sets us apart for service and worship. And then we might ask, how does the Holy Spirit send us? Notice in verse 3 of this passage, after fasting and praying, they, and, and we're assuming the they here are the leaders of this church, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then the next verse says, and so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? They laid their hands on them and sent them off. The Holy Spirit sent them off. The Holy Spirit is working through the laying on of hands to send them off. Now that sounds weird to us, doesn't it? Laying on of hands sounds something strange and mysterious. That's not really a part of of our common experience. It's not a part of our culture. It was a part of, of both Jewish and Greek culture. And so there's a little cultural gap we have to bridge there. But think of the laying on of hands, not necessarily literally placing hands on them, but think of the laying on of hands as a commissioning. It is the leadership of the church saying, God has called you and set you apart from this, this work. We recognize 
your spiritual gifts to do this, your ability to do this, and we send you out with our support, with our prayers, and with our resources. Now, some of you have had literally the laying on of hands. Those of you probably who have been ordained to uh, full-time Christian ministry have probably had hands laid on you. Those of you who have been ordained as elders, probably. Some churches do that with deacons as, as well. I don't know what your practice is here in this congregation. But some of you have literally had hands placed on, and that is the church saying, we're sending you into this role. We're supporting and resourcing uh, and, and praying and encouraging you. We are commissioning you for that. But you don't have to have the literal laying on of hands for that to happen. And in fact, as the leadership of the church does and organizes and supports the work of the church, they're commissioning folks all the time. They're sending out folks in the name of the church. The Spirit is working to equip those folks in the name of the Lord to do that work. And so anybody that the church uh, authorizes to serve in any way is maybe not receiving the literal, but certainly the figurative laying on of hands. So it's not just preachers or youth ministers or worship ministers or elders. It's Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and youth sponsors and worship team members and maintenance workers and, and those most important people, the nursery workers. It, anybody that God has called to do the work that he needs to extend his kingdom in that place. It is through the Spirit's leadership that those people are sent. It is a spiritual work that the leaders determine who is gifted for this ministry and what resources do they need to accomplish what God has called them to do. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little parenthesis in here. This isn't going to add too much, but this is important to me. And th this, this sending is not just for your church only. It's very important that you raise up, especially your young people. You've got to raise up your young people to be the next generation for Christ and equipped and founded and grounded. Uh, in, in it's not just for your church. You need to think of God's kingdom worldwide. We not only need workers sent out in this church, but we need workers sent out from this church. We need people go into full-time Christian ministry. They may, they may not stay here. They may go do that somewhere else. But you have contributed to the larger kingdom by recruiting them and training them and supporting them. There are people, there are young people in this congregation who will end up in a cross-cultural overseas mission preaching the gospel somewhere in the world. That The Spirit is still calling and setting apart and sending. And I would make an appeal to you. We need young people set apart for Christian ministry. We need, it's our job as an educational institution to train and equip those young people. It's your job as the church of Jesus to support and recruit and resource and help those young people. And I would say, make this church a church that sees the importance of encouraging young people in ministry, not just for the sake of your own congregation, but for the sake of the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. The Holy Spirit sends us The thing that I think we have to remember is what we do in the church is a spiritual work that must be seen through the eyes of faith. Church is not a human, fleshly institution. It's a godly 
spiritual institution. And the work of the church is a spiritual work. And that's why the Holy Spirit's the hero. It is the Holy Spirit who does and accomplishes that spiritual work. And it's a good thing that we don't see it, but we can't imagine what the Holy Spirit can do, has done, and will do through this church. I understand this is the oldest Christian church in Sullivan County. Am I right about that? Give me, give me a head shake, those of you who really know. Help me out here. Yeah. We don't know it, but you, we can't imagine all the souls saved for heaven through all those years through this church. We can't even imagine it. All the families that have been preserved because of their connection to the church. All the people who've been ministered to in sickness, times of grief, or family problems, or financial problems. I have no idea of the work of the Spirit through all that. We have no idea how many young people have been sent into ministry or through the mission field. All the, all the churches established, all the resources given, all the service to others in Jesus' name. We can't imagine it because it is the Spirit's work among us. All we can do is say, Hear my Lord, send me. Call me. Set me apart. Send me. I love Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. He's describing the church here. You're founded on the, uh, on the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. And then he says this, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, when you come to church, do you think about that? You should, because every time you walk in those doors, every time you gather together, whether in this room or in another room or in somebody's home, or at the coffee shop, when you gather in Jesus' name, there is a dwelling place for God through the Spirit. And if we could only catch a glimpse of who we really are in Christ, man, we would be His witnesses. We would be bold. We would, we would make God's priorities our priorities. We would sense the knowledge of being called of God, we would know that we were set apart, yet we were sent. We would be his witnesses because we are a dwelling place for God through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.